Welcome to the Swim Swim Podcast. I'm today's host, Coleman Hodges. And joining us today, we've got a special guest. She is an Olympic trials qualifier in the 400 meter freestyle. She's also a musician whose new single, A Shadowy Place, is coming out on October, well, the night of October 5th slash October 6th. She's got an accompanying music video with that. And the best part, she is Swim Swam's owns Swim Swam Swim Swam's own Jack Spitzer's sister. We're talking That's to Riley right. Spitzer. <laughs> the biggest accolade of them all. <laughs> exactly. What's up, Riley? How's it going? Hello. It's good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to dive in. into we've got we've got a good no amount of topics to talk about pun intended we always intend the pun that's right yes <laughs> first off let's talk about this single and then we're kind of kind of work backwards up to this uh this music career that you've got so the new single coming out tell us a little bit about the single what inspired it and what you're excited uh for the world to to get from it so um, the song, like you said, is called The Shadowy Place. And um, it's kind of not necessarily about, but emerged in to like came to me um, during my transition between being a uh, swimmer and then, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do after swimming, which for me was pursuing arts, uh, specifically in music and acting. Um, so as we all know, there was a large global wide pandemic that hit in 2020. And, um, this is right in the middle of me kind of figuring it out. Um, learning how to write music that I like, uh, kind of just learning this new world of not being an athlete and instead being an artist. Um, which of course comes with its own anxieties and, uh, and confusion. And, and it's just, it's a learning process. Um, so during the pandemic, um, I actually had a period of very intense anxiety where I couldn't talk for six months. Um, and I did not know that it was caused by anxiety at the beginning. So it, uh, as you can imagine, kind of just spiraled from there. Um, I didn't know what was happening. It was like tension in my, in my neck and throat area that made me think that I needed to rest my voice. I needed to save it. Um, and it just kept getting worse. Um, that went on for about six, six months, about halfway through that I was, um, trying to focus on my music, still trying to keep that like in my mind while I'm trying to see, solve this issue that I didn't know, like why it was happening. Um, and so I took a songwriting class with, uh, Ryan Tedder of one Republic. He's the lead singer and he's also does songwriting for a lot of other artists in the industry. And, I did that online with him and started writing this song and I was struggling so much with trying to write the lyrics for it. I didn't know what it was about. All I had was like um, the melody, the sound. I knew what I wanted it to sound like. Had no idea what I was writing the words about. Um, and honestly was getting frustrated with like not being able to come up with anything that I felt was uh, was good enough um, or or said what I wanted to say. Um, and then all of a sudden, after a long time of thinking about it, I started like having the lines come to me and having the lyrics come to me. And, um, the coolest thing was that I, I still didn't really know what I was writing about until I pieced it all together. And it ended up being about the situ the, my anxiety situation of this voice problem. Um, not directly the voice problem in particular, but about my anxiety and, um, the shadowy place is this idea that you're uh you're stuck in a place of uh, be it anything negative uh anxiety depression um you're stuck in a place that feels very dark and shadowy um and reading it back after i wrote it was a crazy bizarre experience because i was like oh oh i get it that's what i was that's how i'm feeling um and that's kind of what I hope 
that like other people will be able to listen to and experience it. Um, or what I hope they'll feel when they're listening to it and experiencing it is like the, this kind of idea of you can be stuck in this really bad mental health place, but you can still have fun and you can still like dance through it and it's going to be okay because it's a very upbeat fun song but for the subject matter. It's very fun. It's very dancey. It's very like you want to dance to it. And so that's the whole point is like life sucks sometimes, but dance, <laughs> you know? Dance yeah. It. I, I love that motto. I, I live by it often. Uh, Absolutely. But, but mostly just the dance part. I like, I like dancing no matter what. There's an accompanying music video for the shadowy place i loved your last music video which correct me if i'm wrong but jack helped you film it uh you guys rented a space for a day and filmed it all in a day and it was super cool and uh weird and gory and i i loved it uh tell me about this music video yeah yeah so uh that was demon um that was my first one and this was uh we we filmed it and i and I recorded the song, um, in I think 2019. Um, and then we had the pandemic and actually, I think we, I don't know, doesn't matter the timeline of when we filmed it, but we did go, uh, rent a house and it was actually overnight. We filmed it from like, cause I wanted it to be dark out. So it was like, we started at 7 PM and we didn't get done until like 6 AM. And it was something like 12 scenes or 12, at least different costume changes. And like, I'm wearing contacts to make me look scary in some of the scenes. So I had to be putting those in my eyes in between the scenes. Um, it was crazy and stressful and so fun. And like I said, that was my first experience with like doing a music video and um, having Jack be able to be there with it and help me. And I don't know much about the filming side of things, but Jack does. And so it's like amazing to be able to have you know, a brother who knows these things and is, uh, is just as creatively inclined and, um, was down to help me with it. Cause it ended up, I'm so happy with it and I'm so happy that you liked it. And, um, yeah, I'm, I, I thought it was so much fun and getting to do a second one then after that was with Jack specifically was such, such a blast. I love it. What, what can we expect from it? What's <laughs> give, give us uh, a little taste gore maybe than the first one um I know I'm sorry I know (laughs) it is spooky still though so it's still it still has spooky elements um so it's a little bit Alice in Wonderland themed Alice in Wonderland has uh always been my favorite movie and um the idea of the shadowy place kind of being similar to Wonderland is something I wanted to incorporate into it and I it's spooky while also you're just kind of curious very much like Alice in Wonderland. It's like, Ooh, we don't like, what is the shadowy place? Should we be afraid of it? Or should we just be curious and investigating it? And what, like, so you'll have to find out, you'll have to see, but I love, I love that message. Should should we be afraid of it or should we just be curious and investigate? Yeah, exactly. Uh, And sometimes it's both and that's okay. Yeah. Are you talking about Disney's Alice in Wonderland? I am. Yes. Yes, the uh, specifically the cartoon one. I like other. I like the live action as well. But um, but the cartoon Alice in Wonderland has always been my favorite movie, and I think that's that is a little bit of a testament to my. I mean, you'll you'll absolutely see the inspiration in the music video, and like I've always had that kind of like weird weirder like. I hate to self-proclaim quirkiness, but like, you know, the weirdness uh, of, of that movie is incorporating that into my art has been like so fun. Cause it's, it's wacky. Yeah. I love wacky. Totally. Uh, yeah. yeah it, it, it gets loopy. Uh, I used to have in middle school, I had a wallet with the Cheshire cat on it and mm-hmm. the pink and purple a- Cheshire cat. I really love that. And that version yep. of him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love him. I have a whole, a whole blanket. That's like just the Cheshire cat's face. (laughs) Um, all right. So, uh, October 5th slash 6th. Yeah. If you're a real real fan, you'll stay up on October. That's right. That's right. Come out, uh, 
midnight. Oh, yeah, midnight. Midnight on um New York. Yeah, Eastern time. Midnight on October 6th, which is a Friday. All right. So if you're in California, you're lucky and you'll get it at 9 p.m. on on the Thursday. You'll get it early. <laughs> yeah. Uh so stay tuned for that. Let's take it back uh to your roots and then we're gonna kind of circle back um to your music. You were a swimmer for a long, long time. Uh, do you still swim at all? Or are you done with I actually, it? I actually, I've been trying to get more in, back into it. I don't do a lot of it lately. Um, I did, I maintained um, swimming. Like I said, I did the, um, I did a year post-grad after uh, college as well. So I did kind of maintain swimming even after I was done with college. Um, but, you know, at some point, kind of petered off with it. And, um, it's, it's such a weird feeling to look back and be like, wow, I haven't really been swimming regularly in many years. Um, and I love it so much. So I've been trying to get back into it, but it's uh, always a matter of finding a pool, right? <laughs> when you can't just hop into a hop into swim practice really quick. That's a, that's a good point. Although in LA, I don't know, are there, are there a lot there's, of pools in LA? There's, there's a, quite a few, but it's, um, it's like hard to find one you can go do lap swim in while they're not doing swim practices. And they, I could find one. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm There's hearing a nice is little that YMCA you down the street. <laughs> <laughs> I love YMCAs. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a proud Y member. So Absolutely. give me a yeah, I used anytime. to, I used to go to our YMCA uh, and get some swimming in there. I don't know why I don't go anymore. That's actually, I do know why the pandemic, that's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I stopped. <laughs> that really messed everything up. But okay, sure did. your swimming roots. Uh, basically, what I'm asking you to tell us now is embarrassing stories of Jack as a child swimmer and okay. or All right. how, how you got into swimming. You, you were a four-year swimmer at San Jose State. How did that come to be through your childhood? So Jack and I swam together on... Um, a club team in San Diego growing up called Bluefins. And um gosh, I'm trying to think of any well, I'm as I'm trying to think of embarrassing Jack stories, I'm like having so many come to me. Um <laughs> but we so we swam together on Bluefins and it was very, very fun sometimes, but also then we were together constantly. And he's three years younger than me. So he's like my annoying little brother, you know? <laughs> um and Ooh, we would get an argument. We had our coaches being like, Riley and Jack, you don't stop arguing. But then it would be, it would flip like two seconds later and we'd be having an absolute blast. Um, but I'm thinking of this. I don't even know if this is embarrassing so much. It's kind of sad, but I'm thinking of one time he got out to go get like some water from the drinking fountain. And he's like, he's, he was known as Jack, Jack, the maniac. So he's always been very high energy, very, as you can probably imagine, He's the same exact way now as he was then. Um, And he ran over to the drinking fountain and he slipped and like broke his arm because he was too quick to get his water. But that's less of an embarrassing story and more of a sad one. Sorry, Jack. That's awesome. Jack, (laughs) Jack, the maniac. (laughs) Jack, Jack, the maniac. Yes. Oh my gosh. The energy in that child. That's why that, I mean, that's why he's so successful now is like, he's, he's doing incredible things because he is just so determined to, and so motivated and does not, does not know the idea of like being shy about, about trying to get what he wants. He's just like, yeah, I'll go do it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to work with the Margaritaville, which he's now, I guess, talking to like, he's incredible, but, um, but in terms of, in terms of swimming with him, it was, it was a really interesting kind of um dynamic because we were so close but being that close we would butt heads um but I wouldn't have traded it for anything because we're so we're we're best friends it's the best so um for me personally I swam with my older brother who's two years older and the when we were when I was younger how I got into swimming was that he was super into it I was not into it at all and then because he I did everything he did because he liked it you know he would Mm. just be like hey i like this check it out and i was like oh okay i like this too now nice 
which uh i guess <laughs> later in life <laughs> okay, i'm so like you get the down do i have an identity <laughs> um like, did i choose this or right. exactly but but so that's Why? how that's how i ended up swimming was that like i didn't like it for a long time and then eventually i came around because my brother liked it so much and so he was so into it were you you as the older sibling um were you always into swimming did you have other sports you liked or or were you pretty dead set on it from the beginning yeah um it's interesting like the you were talking about that because of like the similarities between you and your older brother with jack and i um but i I was swimming since I was seven. So I, that was always there, but I also did soccer when I was really young as well. And I loved soccer too, but it did kind of get to, uh, it got to a point where I kind of had to pick one. I think that was maybe going into like sometime in middle school, you know, right. When you have to like kind of start, start focusing on one to pursue one, you know, but, um, it's interesting that you're like mentioning the whole, I don't even like you kind of, followed this because it was put in front of you instead of actually picking it. I think about that often with like, with, in terms of that kind of, I had to pick between swimming and soccer because we're kind of in this society forced to choose something that we're really, really good at. Right. Instead of always following exact. And I'm not saying I loved swimming and I never wanted to quit. That's so it doesn't really have anything to do with that, but like, exactly like you said you you kind of followed this path and then it's like oh was that just because my older brother wanted me to do it or was that because I actually really liked it um and that's kind of an interesting thing that I've noticed um with in general like sports and swimming in particular um so yeah I had to pick uh one of them went swimming great option because I was very successful. I went to college with it. Um, amazing memories with everything. Um, but also like, what if I had done soccer, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, <clears throat> I think about that with a few things, you know, I had a, a few other interests in high school theater running. Um, I think yeah. about this a lot, but this podcast isn't about me. <clears throat> so we're keeping it on you. Yes. So you, you end up choosing swimming. And as you said, swam in college, uh, San Jose state, um, give me a little rundown of what it was like swimming for, for your experience as a college athlete. Um, again, you qualified for Olympic trials. So you were, <laughs> you were quite good. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> and, 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 and as you kind of mentioned, um, but yeah, what, what was your experience at San Jose, which, uh, in your home state, but still, you know, kind of far from home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, that aspect of it was actually, it was a factor, like the distance kind of how far away I was from home. Um, cause I visited, like I visited Hawaii on a, on a recruiting trip and I beautiful and I loved it, but it was kind of like really far from home. So San Jose was really cool. Cause it was the perfect distance. It was like, I got my, my independence. I got my, uh, my experience, kind of being away from home, but also it was right next to the airport and I could just fly home if I needed to, you know, for a weekend or for a holiday or something. Um, but I, I had a really nice time at San Jose state. I really, um, I met a lot of my best friends that I still have today that I see being in my life for a very long time. Um, who I swam with one of them is, uh, is, my friend Allie, who was also a fellow distance swimmer. So we also were doing the practices together and um, that kind of bond that I was mentioning with Jack as well, because Jack was a distance swimmer too. So it's kind of a special bond you get when you're, when you're uh, in the same kind of events and the same, you know, the same training lane as somebody. Um, so that was a lot of, that was a lot of fun, like getting to that kind of camaraderie that you get on a, um, I don't know, did you do college swimming? I know it's not, I do want to hear. <laughs> I did not swim in college. I so coached it, yeah. for my club team when I was in college. Oh, okay, cool. I mean, it's the same, it's the same level, you know, of com like camaraderie and like friendship and the way you bond with your teammates when you're in practice is so, is because it's such a unique experience, you know, being a competitive swimmer that um, I notice now it's like, I don't, I can't, I can't really bond with new friends in the same way that I can with my friends that I swam with, because we experience these things together and we know, you know, we know 
our upbringing was very similar and um the swimming world is so uh so unique and so specific and um getting to have friends that experienced that with me um that I met in college um was is so cool it's hard to connect with people when you're not spending 20 hours a week with them <laughs> no exactly yeah, right exactly and it's but that's a that's a really interesting take on like the transition too from from athletics to non-athletics and in general um being a student going into going into the real world we're we're so used to growing up we're so used to like having our having our people with us um whether that's your teammates and i never like we never got sick of each other i don't know how, if you i'm some i mean my jack and i did sometimes <laughs> but um that's by nature of siblings um but like my friends and I, I, we loved spending every second with each other. And we'd like, we, you know, go to swim practice, come home. We'd be in the same apartment, uh, hanging out, go to swim practice, go hang out somewhere else, go home together constantly. And it was like, that's an experience. I feel like that not a whole lot of people get that, um, in general, like the sport camaraderie and friendship. Yeah. Which, which is a great takeaway. And it's, that seems like the takeaway that a lot of swammers have, right? It's like, they're not talking mm -hmm. about their times or the sets they did, or, you know, they're, they're talking about, yeah, I have some of my best friends. It was a great experience. We were together all the time and I'm going to cherish that for the rest of my life. Like, I didn't even realize that that's the main thing that I've been talking about, but that's exactly how, like, that's what everybody always says. You know, they're like, the memories you're going to remember are the fun times with your teammates and with your friends and supporting each other. You're not going to remember, oh gosh, did I get a best time at this swim meet? Oh, like the, I don't know if you remember like the devastation of adding a second on something and how hard that can be on like, on a young athlete, like that feeling of of failure kind of, but they're, they're right. When they tell you like, you're not going to remember those times that like, that's not going to be what you focus on. You're going to be focusing on the friendships and the fun times that you had with it and the, and the bonds that you made with people. Like that's going to be the stuff that really sticks and what really remember, what you really remember from it. But in terms of, which then brings me to hard sets. Cause I'm thinking about some sets that like, oh yeah. Oh, those distant sets. Right. <laughs> What, wait, what, uh, what stroke were you or what was your event? 200, 200 butterfly. Oh God. Was my, was my event. Good for you. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> you were a distance swimmer. I was what a distance was, Were you like, uh, are you a miler distance swimmer or like a 500 free distance swimmer? Both. So both. Um, I did my, I would say probably my best event was short course was, the 500, well, the 500 and the mile, I think were my two like best short course ones. And then long course 400 was, um, which is the one that I ended up, uh, um, going to Olympic trials for in 2016. Um, those were my main events and the ones that I kind of swam consistently at each meet. Um, I would do sprint, um, free events as well. And I, uh, it, it, even in college, I would be part of all the sprint, um, relays as well, which was always really fun. Cause those are, the relays to me were always the like really fun, the really fun part. That's the part, you know, where everybody's, everybody's screaming. Um, everybody's around the pool deck and it's like mayhem, you know? Um, so I did do other things like that. And I did a little bit of backstroke here and there, but never, I was not a butterfly girl and I was not a breaststroke girl ever. <laughs> so kudos to you for being a 200 flyer. Could not have been me. <laughs> but then again, Thank I was you. doing miles. So <laughs> hardest swimming distance sets you did at San Jose. Gosh. Okay. There's multiple, but I'm thinking there was one that, uh, it wasn't necessarily distance in particular, but it was like each I'll, I'll just explain it for you. We would do, um, I want to say that it was an interval of two minutes and then the sprinters were doing 25s on two minutes. And then like there were, there was a group doing fifties on two minutes and then a group doing hundreds and then a group doing one fifties and then a group doing two hundreds on two minutes. And uh, so my friend Allie and I were in the group doing the two hundreds on two minutes. Um, and 
I think some of us got the option of wearing fins, but I have like, I have really bad ankles. So I hated fins. I hated, I did not want to touch fins ever. It would like, you know, the feeling of like the, the ankle, the ankles, uh, yank. Um, but so we would have to do that and we would be making, we would have to be on the same interval as the girls doing the 25s. And it was so hard. And we were like, touch, go, touch, go, touch, go each time. Um, while the 25 girlies were over there just having a good old time, enjoying the sunshine, getting a rest, having a breath. That sounds, how many, like, how many of these would you do? I don't remember. That's the other thing is like, it was, at this point for me, it was seven, seven years ago. <gasps> Holy cow. That's wild. Yeah. Seven years ago. Um, so I don't remember how many it would have been, but I want to say something like 10, maybe 10 of them, something like that. Oh, the naps after those practices were incredible. <laughs> the The post-morning yeah. practice nap, I'm sure you've experienced. Incredible. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of other ones we did. We did, we would have, I think, dis, I think Mondays were distance, distance Mondays something like that. And we would do, um, I don't it's see, this is the craziest thing is like now looking back and not being able to remember them. I'm like, what the heck? I did those every week. It was probably something like three hundreds for time, something like that. <laughs> but, um, something like that. Lots, lots. All I, what I know is it was lots of yards and lots of distance. <laughs> yeah. Lots of time to think and think about, actually, that's an interesting note. I, I used to sing songs in my head while I would be either in a race at, uh, during meets or um, or during practice, like to keep myself occupied since I was a distant swimmer um, during those super long sets or even like the really, really hard, whether they were short or long sets. Um, that's kind of what I would do to pass the time and keep myself occupied. I would... Uh, I would either be singing songs in my head from like my favorite artists, or I'd be literally like imagining myself on stage. <laughs> um, so it's kind of fun to see how that's kind of uh, evolved into me actually being able to uh, start making my own music and stuff after swimming. Um, but I remember during like my miles for time, I would go, it would, I think it would, I would allow myself one song per 250 and I'd have to play the song. And then I wasn't allowed to switch until I hit the flip turn on the 250. And then it was like, okay, next song. Um, and that's kind of how I would uh, keep myself occupied during those really, really long races or really long sets. That's awesome. You have a whole playlist oh, yeah. mentally for the mile. <laughs> yes. And do you want to know, it consisted mostly of One Direction songs. <laughs> I was a One Direction girl. It's a great, that's a, that's a great yeah. soundtrack to a mile. They have some good, they have some, some upbeat bangers that can help you in your mile. I will yeah. say. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with I you on you, that one for sure. That's, that's a, there's a, a embarrassing Jack, Jack story is that I, since I was a One Direction girl, I, he, Jack probably could sing for you One Direction's full first album <laughs> up all night. He could sing uh -huh. that. He knows the words. He knows. I forced him to understand One Direction the way that I understood it, because we'd be driving to those morning practices, and I'd be like, "Put the CD in." <laughs> you know the drill. That's, that's how old I am. Is it was a CD. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, next time I room with Jack at a swim meet, I'm like, "All right, you know the drill. Sing it." He. He will be on board and he will, he will be having a blast. He loves it. He loves One Direction. <laughs> that's, that's so great. Mm -hmm. um, so sticking with this swimming theme, um, Olympic trials, let's talk about that. 2016, uh, I was in Omaha. Getting your Olympic trials cut. Uh, tell me about, I mean, was that a specific goal you had? Was that something that you were absolutely shooting for? I mean, that's, you know, that. For most swimmers, that's like the biggest achievement you can get in, in swimming, certainly in long course. Um, what did it mean to you? And what was it like finally achieving that first trials cut? 
It absolutely was a direct goal. Um, that was something I actively was working towards and, um, and wanted, of course, like you said, that's like the, that is a lot of swimmers ultimate goal is to be able to go to Olympic trials and be able to experience that. And, um, and to be able to say you did, you know, um, I got my cut a year prior. So it was in the summer of 2015 at, uh, LA, the LA invite you at USC. Um, and I remember that summer I actually, uh, was pretty stressed out about it. I was, um, cause I wanted to get the, you know, I wanted to get the cut. I wanted to go fast enough and be able to qualify. Um, and since it's a long course meet, as you know, you got to qualify during the long course season and, um, pushing it until right before the following year was a scary idea for both me and my coach. And so, um, he would even kind of give me a little bit of a countdown, which I don't know if it was helpful or if it was more stressful, but, um, he would like say like 79 days left to get the cut. Um, and, so that summer I was actually, I was experiencing quite a bit of like stress over it. And, um, as, as anyone might leading up to a big meet. Right. Um, and so I went to the USC invite and I think I was, I want to say I was like two seconds away from the, from the cut. I had like a four 18 maybe. And it was a four sixteen ninety nine something close like that. Um, and I made finals. So it was in the final, final of the, uh, the LA invite meet. And I was just so determined, um, to get it. And I remember afterwards, my coach had told me that I actually wasn't even on pace to get the time, um, until the last like 75 meters. And there was a girl in the lane next to me who was like a whole body length ahead of me. Um, and I just was like, I have to hit it. I have to get her. And like, that's, that was my motivating factor to like get myself to go as fast as I could for the last, for the last 75 and it worked. And I like, I, I know you've probably experienced that feeling of like all or nothing swimming, like just balls to the wall. Let's go. Um, and so I did that. I did end up catching her, but the coolest part was that me catching her also pushed her and we both ended up getting the time. So it was, it was really, really cool because we finished and another really awesome thing was Jack was in the very next heat. Um, and so he was literally standing right above my block. Um, and then I touched the wall and, um, me and the girl next to me both kind of looked and, or I don't even know if I looked yet. Cause I was so, oh, I couldn't even process it yet. Like being able to read a time. Cause I was so out of it, but Jack was like, you got me like right above me. And, um, and she, when like we shook hands, she was like, she was like, you pushed me at the end there. We both got it. And it was just, it was so cool. It was really, really, really an awesome time, an awesome moment. Um, and that's one of that particularly is actually, I would put that race higher than, and in my like highlights than the actual swim at trials, not the, not the whole trials experience. Cause that was mind blowing and crazy, but the swim itself, that's, that's more of a highlight for me when I got the time. Um, cause that's just like, that's such a moment of like, you know, anybody who's experienced that would know, would, would know what I mean. Um, but, and then the relief as well of knowing that I got the time and then, um, did not have to worry about it the following year, getting it last second, which I had actually a couple of college teammates who, at the the very very last second like the last meet they could have possibly qualified for they did finals and then they added a time trial so they could try one more time and then they both got it like in the last possible second and then they got to go with me too which was really awesome um but yeah that going to trials was crazy was like the coolest it was like it was like being at like the Grammys, but in swim version, like it was like a, a rave on the pool deck with like lights across the pool before finals each night and like fire shooting out of the sides of the pool. It was an insane, insanely cool experience. And then like to be walking around and I swam, I was warming up and turned around and it was Ryan Lochte trying to pass me. I was like, Oh, sorry, go ahead, sir. 
right away. <laughs> um, and like just being in that environment was so amazing and and uh, not something that like would could be matched by anything else. Um, but then there's also the the pressure and like the fear of that of the having to perform, you know, and um, why I say that my time qualifying is more of a highlight is because um, one of the things that then like is part of the like the anxiety aspect of swimming for me was I added I think I added like a second and a half off of my qualifying time and I was just like devastated. I was so sad and like crying afterwards and to look back at that and see like the amazing situation that I was in and the, um, the experience that was, and know that I was upset because, you know, I added a second and a half maybe in a 400 free is like, it's just interesting to look at. Cause it's like, it, and that's something that every every high level athlete has to deal with is that kind of stress and that kind of like pressure to, to do well, even if you're already at the big, amazing me, you know? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, the, uh, of the meets I cover for swim, swim Olympic trials is my least favorite, uh, oh. for a in big part for that reason. I mean, it's, it's the longest meet it's eight days. It's going to be nine days <laughs> next year. Is it? Uh, <gasps> Jeez. Yeah, which uh, and so that means a lot of work for me, which oh, is yeah. not very pleasant. But also, you know, they call it the meat of tears for that exact reason. It's it's yeah. where dreams are made and dreams are crushed or lost or, you know, they they come yeah. to die there. And, um, if, you know, for a lot of swimmers, it's their last it's meet their ever. Last. Yep. That's and yeah. uh you feel totally. the tension in the building. You know, you walk into that pool every day and you can feel there's just sure. so much emotion, good, bad, otherwise, that's like all in that Ab oh, little yeah. 50 meter pool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's um, like you saying, that's where dreams go to live or die is so true and like to think about especially in this kind of situation where it's the top two in each event that are actually going to be successful in the goal of the of the meet you know and for everybody else granted of course like it's not like every thousand person in each event or the thousands of people in all the events are are actually thinking they're going to be the top two of course not but um but that pressure of it's so many people's biggest meet that they've ever done. Um, the biggest thing they've ever qualified for. That was my case. Like um, I had always leading up to trials. I had always, or leading up at least to the year that I went to trials, I, I was always just shy of making like nationals and things like that. I would always like just be a couple of tenths off or something like that. So this was really like the biggest, um, of course, meet that I'd ever been to. So it's, it's do or die, you know, and that's how it is for every, every athlete there. You want to do your best and you want to have this be the most perfect experience possible. And the reality of it is that there can, there can't be a perfect, a perfect So There's always, which then goes into, you know, for me, that has led to some pretty crazy perfectionism that, uh, that I'm trying to work through now. Um, but yeah, it's that, it's that absolute fear of, not living up to your own expectations or the expectations of family, friends, if you're the top of the top of the world, you know, like Michael Phelps has been very open about his struggles with depression and anxiety after the Olympics. Cause like he's got the world on his shoulders, you know, it would be would, like, we have this, the, the numbers of like percentage of people who go a best time at Olympic trials, which is very low. Right, it would yeah. be, it would be awesome to have, an exit interview of, of athletes at Olympic trials of like, you know, on a scale of one to 10 rate your athletic performance, right? right? Because maybe not everyone's goal is to go best time, but it's like, like you said, close to none, uh, no one close to no one's experience at an Olympic trials meet is going to be, Oh, this was perfect. Exactly. But because of the stakes and the high level, 
of that meat we want it to be and we expect it to be and you know like your whole if you've been swimming for me 16 years that is that's like the ultimate end goal right there whereas really I can look back at it and think like no the whole entire thing was the goal but so many people it's like once I get to the top 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 like this is what I'm working for this is what I've been doing this for my whole entire life this is why I had to do those long distance set you know like this is what I've been doing this is why I'm doing it um and so then to not have this impossibly perfect experience that we're all expecting can be really jarring and can be so uh can create so much especially when you've prepared so much for that specific meet with the tapering and um and, and the like super training ahead of time the tapering and preparing for the meet that you may have been trying to get the time at and then it's like oh now I've qualified okay now I gotta get back in gear because I gotta get ready for trials now all those things and add up to like such a high 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 and then right after it's like how do you match that kind of stress and um and anxiety and anticipation and everything regardless of how you performed you know so you know you go there you you, you add a second change you aren't super happy with your swim or your performance personally you have a great experience at trials though um you're you were in kind of a unique situation or you were in a cool situation where that perfectly aligned with your collegiate career so you did four years you finished your last collegiate season you went right to olympic trials and then you decided to take a post-grad year and and still keep training for another year um, can you tell me a little bit about what went into that decision? You know, why ultimately after having the experience at trials, you did, you decide, okay, I want to keep swimming. I want to keep doing this and what that looked like for you in terms of just your lifestyle, what changes came with it and how it went for that year. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think, I think the trials experience kind of played into my decision to keep swimming for a little bit that kind of unsatisfaction that I felt not unsatisfaction but uh it didn't feel like I wanted to go out on having added a second which sounds so silly afterwards it's like it's one second but in swimming you know how much one second like that one second's big you know it's big yeah yeah um and like the pressure that can be put on a single second is crazy. So I think that I, I really, uh, felt like I wasn't ready to be done. Wasn't, uh, didn't kind of accomplish all I wanted to accomplish yet. Um, combined with a big, like just in general fear of what I'm not used to, which is not swimming. I was never, I, I had never done that before. I'd never been a non-swimmer that's in my memory, you know, so, which I think is another huge thing that a lot of athletes experience is this kind of fear of like, oh, what, oh, what am I doing now? And then you kind of are like, oh, I guess I'm a regular person or a NARP or whatever they would call it. Uh, I don't know if you guys had that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> what what was it? Non-athletic regular person? Yeah. A NARP. I'm, I'm a NARP <laughs> now. It's crazy. Um, but that, and like combined with like swimming or your athletic identity, like it's so wrapped up in your identity when you've been doing it for so long. So to, uh, to be faced with this, uh, looming future of not of, of the unknown and of what you're not used to, can be really scary. And I know that was for me and a lot of my friends as well. So I think that's kind of combo of that. And just not really just knowing I really wasn't done quite yet with swimming, um, led me to then swim with, um, Deanza Cupertino up in San Jose and I had a lot, I had a lot of fun with that. And I, um, it was a really, like a it really unique, uh, situation for me because there were a couple people, there were like two or three of us that were in our early twenties. And then the rest of them was like the high, the high schoolers. And so I was kind of, I was like the teen mom kind of, which was fun. Cause I was the, uh, the guidance and the, you know, the older girl with the experience of, of, uh, collegiate swimming and everything. Um, and it was interesting because like I'd gone from being an, a student athlete my whole entire life to then being an athlete while working. And it was just, you know, it was just, uh, part-time jobs, but, um, and I also coached, I think on DACA at the same time. Um, but learning that 
that transition, um, which, you know, school, work, very similar. You got to go to go to your scheduled times, right? Um, so it wasn't too hard to figure out, but uh, figuring that out while also realizing my dreams of wanting to be a, a singer and um, an artist was an interesting time too, for sure. Like trying to find that balance and trying to find how can I transition into this? Um, yeah. What's, um, what were your big milestones for swimming that year? You know, did you have a taper meet or did you have a specific meet or goal time or just goal period in that one yeah. year? I think it's interesting. Cause I, I, it's so weird to look back and like, not totally remember the exact goals that I had because in the time, in the moment, they seem so important. Right. When it's like, I have to get this one thing. It's like, now I'm like, I don't even remember what I was, what I was gunning for, but I think it was, I think it was us open, um, that I was trying to, uh, that I wanted to qualify for the following year. Um, the following year being, uh, the year after trials. So, uh, the, you know, swam for the extra year. And I, um, I think I ended up going to my final meet was us open or nationals in some, some meet in New York. Um, was that that meet? Were you? Yeah. Uh, oh, cool. I think it was, yeah, I think it was us open. Ryan yes. Lochte was at that meet, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of had a, I think I had one best time that I got that summer and then the rest of them, it really, I really wasn't, uh, actually improving as much as I wanted to. And, um, I think that it, it was also a lot of, I had some things like my brother was getting married on like in on the other side of the country. And so that happened like two weeks before my big taper meet that summer. And that kind of threw me off my game a little bit. Um, and like had to move. So there were a few factors that kind of affected then my uh, performance that summer that then was a combination of kind of a like really disappointing that I didn't live up to like, why did I swim an extra year if I'm not going to improve? Uh, which is so silly. Like I, because I love it. That's the answer. Cause I love to swim. Um, but it also kind of was like, okay, maybe it's time, maybe it's time to hang up the cap and goggles. You know, uh, it was a little bit more of a, of a, okay, maybe we've gotten to that point now. Whereas the year prior, I hadn't really gotten to that point of like, oh, I'm, I'm ready to be done. Um, but that summer kind of, I didn't, I ended up getting, I think a best time in my mile. I did improve my mile that summer. So we did get, we did get one there in our post-grad year, <laughs> my short course. No, doesn't matter. One of those. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's like kind of surprising and also really impressive that like you were able to go a best time in the mile of all I know, events. I know. Right. I would like, you would think that it would be maybe a 50 that I'd be able to pull right. out a quick, <laughs> a quick sprint. But, um, yeah, I remember it was at, um, I can picture the pool, but I don't know what it's called, but, um, it was so cool. Cause it was like right leading up to where I had that U S open me. And it was kind of like, I knew I was kind of nearing the end. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think I was expecting at all to get it best time. And that, at, in that meet during that mile, but I did. So it was like really cool to just be like, Oh, okay, cool. Uh, at least I got that, <laughs> which is <laughs> like, which is a huge, like you said, like a mile, a mile best time, especially when I'm not improving in, uh, kind of the more sprinty events, it's pretty cool. Like that's, that's fun. <laughs> cool. So, so during this year, um, like you said, you're kind of figuring things out. You're working part-time jobs. You're discovering how to be a, a person outside of swimming slowly, but surely. Um, but you, you had mentioned that during sets, you would play songs and sometimes you would even envision yourself performing, but was making your own music something that you had thought about for a long time? Or is this something that just kind of came up later in your swimming career? I think so. I, I always wanted to be a singer um, from when I was really young. I, Jack and I would pretend to be Avril Lavigne and her band. And we would, uh, we had like a little drum set and like four-year-old Jack walking around with a spiky necklace, 
gel. Please send pics. Oh, we will. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I got to find some. I've been, I've been dying <laughs> to find some pictures of this. We have some somewhere, but it's like literally like three or four year old Jacqueline, like with like, <laughs> spiky necklaces, awesome. you know, one of the white ribbed mm-hmm. tank tops on that's ripped. He thought he was married to Avril Lavigne. He did. He believed it. Um, so there's a fun <laughs> Jack story, <laughs> but, um, we'll, we'll definitely be getting the pictures of that. Um, but my earliest memory of it is I remember, or of like that goal, that being a goal was, um, do you remember the movie school of rock with Jack Black? Would you tell Picasso to sell his guitars? Ex- right, yeah, exactly. Read between the lines. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I watched that movie, I like, I was angry that I wasn't in it. And I think I was like eight or nine. <laughs> And that was my, and I thought that was the normal response. And I thought that's what everybody felt. I was like, what the, like, <laughs> Everyone's nobody thought to tell me about the audition for this movie. <laughs> Meanwhile, I like was not, I didn't tell anybody I wanted to be like an actor. Um, but that was, that's kind of my first memory of like, kind of knowing that I want, that's what I wanted to be a performer and to be a singer. Um, and I did competitions when I was little and it kind of got kind of how we were talking about earlier about, uh, at some point you have to kind of pick a passion, right? And um, you mentioned wanting to look in a theater in high school, but not really having much time for it. That's kind of how it felt for me as well. Like I just didn't, I didn't have the time to be thinking about it or thinking about my goals with that um, when I was kind of in like high school. So I kind of, that went on the back burner for a bit. And then in college, it just like, randomly popped back up and it was like oh that's absolutely what I have to do and I I know that that's what I want to be doing after this um which then kind of turned into how do I a like try to reach that goal while I'm swimming or b do it after swimming um and that was actually a really big uh thing for me was it was very difficult for me to um to figure out how to write music that I liked and, um, create art that I liked. And uh, a lot of that problem came from the perfectionism that I mentioned, which can come from, you know, years of, of feeling really hard on yourself and down on yourself when you're not improving constantly and things like swimming and that kind of pressure to, to be flawless and be perfect. And, um, and, a world where we're kind of not taught to give ourselves grace for, uh, for being slightly imperfect, you know? So it took me a long time to figure out how to actually be able to create things without putting this crazy, crazy pressure on myself that literally has just been blocking my creativity because it, because if I don't think it's good enough, I won't make it. So I've been, that's what I've been like working through with things like the shadowy place. That's kind of like that anxiety led to me losing my voice and um, anxiety over lots and lots of things. But a lot of it was my perfectionism in my music and trying to unlearn this whole notion that I have to be perfect at everything I do or else, you know, I might get in trouble or I'm or I'm going to feel bad about it because I didn't, because I felt that way when I didn't get a best time, things like that. So healing music has been very healing for me in that way, in that I'm learning how to break down that those kind of boundaries and, uh, and, and blockages within myself to be able to create stuff that I really, really like. And that I'm like, and then I think other people will like too. And I think they'll be able to relate with it. So I guess kind of a hard question, you know, hearing you say all of that, <clears throat> How, how have you learned to reset your mindset or reset, you know, goals with your artistic endeavor or just your creating, um, you know, cause yeah. it's like when, when you're like, oh, I'm a singer. I think the first thing people kind of that automatic reflex is like, oh, well, like, is that your full-time job? Or like, are you making a lot of money or like, are you successful? Whatever that might mean. And, um, I think you kind of alluded to it. It's like the, sometimes you just want to create. Sometimes you just want to write stuff and maybe put it out there or maybe not, but like, you know, it can be a really cathartic process can be a really enjoyable process. And so what what, do you have goals for yourself or, or goals that maybe are outside of yourself for, for your music? Yeah. Um, it's, 
the process of kind of trying to find that balance between wanting to have these high goals for myself because I believe in myself and I, and I know I can do it. And I, um, sw- my swimming background has been great in that sense of like, I'm so determined and I'm, you know, it teaches you drive and it teaches you, um, being to be passionate about something. Um, but finding that balance there where, uh, I know that I'm capable of great, like of, of doing great things for myself while also wanting to relearn this idea exactly that being creative does not always have to be even good. It does like, you don't have to be good at things in order to enjoy them. And we're humans, we're supposed to be creative and we're supposed to, I saw something recently that was saying, um, was talking about how humans were evolved to like, we evolved to sing. We have this capability to sing just like birds and they do it. They don't care if they sound bad or good. Um, it's something that our soul is supposed to do or create in general. Art is, is, you know, math is art, science is art, art is everywhere. And we're, as humans, we're supposed to be tapping into this, but there's such a, um, a stigma of like, if you're not good at it, you can't do that thing. Or if you're not, uh, if you're not producing something that other people want to listen to, or that's not popular, or that doesn't make you money, then you shouldn't be doing that. And there are elements of that where it's like, you gotta, you gotta find something you can, you can do and make a career off of. And, um, I mean, you don't gotta, but if that's your goal, um, but we should be allowed to create without this, without this, uh, idea that we have to be impressing other people with it, you know? Um, now that's hard to teach myself. (laughs) It's easier for me to say that out loud than it is for me to ingest it, of course. But, um, I've like, I, I'm a big, big, uh, fan of therapy and, um, finding new ways of kind of like looking at the way you're thinking and the way that you've been, um, that your brain has just literally been, has learned to think throughout whatever your experiences are, whether that's athletics, whatever, whether that's trying to be really good in school, whatever it is, um, relearning the way your brain is wired and the way your brain thinks and responds to things. I, I think it's a huge thing. And to become like self-aware of those things is such an important part of growing and becoming an adult and, um, and becoming the best version of you because like we, we are really taught in this society. Perfect is what we need to strive for, but it's impossible. Perfect's impossible. So to just allow that kind of like, you're allowed to just create something and, and you can put it out if you want to, and you don't, or you don't have to, you can keep it to yourself. It can be really terrible by many people's measures, but that doesn't matter. Like, you know what I mean? It's this, this, uh, yeah, this, this drive for success, I think is very good, but it comes with some, it comes with some, some negatives as well that, uh, we got to kind of find the balance with, you know? Yeah. I had a theater teacher who would encourage failure bows. So if, if, if we were going along in this, you know, sketch or our game or whatever, and someone messed up, like he's like, just stop and say, I messed up and then take a bow. And we're all going to clap for you because, because failure it's, it's amazing. And I think we need more of that in everyday life because it's like, Failure is not only acceptable, but which, which as you kind of alluded to our society does not encourage that, but it's like failure is acceptable and that's how we learn, right? It's like, that's your biggest teacher is when you mess, when you try something and you mess up and you say, oh, okay, I, I, I didn't do it how I wanted to this time, but now I know what I'm not going to do for next time. Right. And I love that that was like done in such a positive way too, because that's, that's where I feel like is just, is a key. I think that's a key thing that everybody can, um, kind of implement is, is trying to be positive and happy with your failures because it's inevitable. It's going to happen. You're going to fail. You're going to have a bad swim meet. You're going to have, I'm going to write songs that I hate. That's just that on that. And to beat myself up about it would just be would be, uh, it's, 
it's common. It's what I do. I beat myself up about it, but then to be able to then look at it and say, no, it's okay. It's totally fine. Like why, why do I expect perfection for myself? Why do I expect, uh, greatness with everything it doesn't have to be great and that's fine so I, I love that that it's like this idea of celebrating even the failures or the or the times that you aren't living up to the your own standards you know or your own expectations absolutely which yeah. would yeah which I think should be celebrated more Definitely. Um, so yeah there you go uh we're we're almost out of time but I was Clearly I will talk forever if you let me, <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming on Riley. It's been awesome getting to chat with you. Uh, once again, the shadowy place is out October 6th on all platforms, streaming music, YouTube with the music video. Um, give us, you know, do you know what's next after this single or, or what you're going to do with the release of this single? Um, I'm planning on trying to promote it as much as I can. Um, I'm an independent artist, uh, obviously. Um, so I'm doing my best to promote it. I'm going to ha- be setting up some performances as well. Um, looking forward to doing, to setting up some shows like later this fall and, uh, and early next year as well. Um, as well as I have quite a few other songs I'm working on um, that I'm really excited about as well that I will be continuing to finish so I can release them as well (laughs) um yeah I'm just excited to see like it's cool because as an artist I don't know what I'm going to come up with so it's like I'm excited to see what comes out right you've been listening to the swim swim podcast stay tuned for new episodes every week you can take swim swim podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.